0: urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here and welcome to the 343rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast, Pick up your Urban Farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. This Urban Farm podcast is brought to you by the 2018 Food Revolution Summit. I say food choices are our most important factor to staying healthy. The Food Revolution Summit helps us in this discovery process. It's free, online, and features 24 top food and health experts teaching us how to reduce the risk of the most notable diseases of our time. Visit urbanfarm.org forward slash summit to sign up for this life-changing event. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is spreading the word about healthy and sustainable eating. We're talking with returning guest Ocean Robbins to tell us about the 2018 Food Revolution Summit. Ocean is the CEO, co-founder, and co-host of the 450,000-member Food Revolution Network and the co-founder of the Food Revolution Summit. He is also co-author of the book's Choices for Our Future and The Power of Partnership, along with the most recently released Voices of Our Food Revolution. You can heal your body and your world with food. The annual Food Revolution Summit has already reached over 800,000 people teaching what's really going on with our our food and presenting information to help us take action for our health and for a more ethical and sustainable world. The 2018 online summit will take place April 28th through May 6th, featuring John and Ocean Robbins interviewing 24 of the world's top food experts. We met Ocean in episode 172 and then again last April in episode 221. Welcome back to the show today. Are you ready to rock the food revolution?
1: I sure am, Greg.
0: Sweet. So can you bring us up to speed on what's been happening since we chatted last?
1: I will. There's good news and there's bad news. Oh, I'll start with the bad news, actually. The bad news is we've got a toxic food culture where it is considered normal to eat food that is proven to cause cancer, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, that is making us sick. We have a food industry that acts like your health didn't matter as it loads our food up with toxic chemicals and additives and stuff we know is bad for us. And we've got a health industry that tragically acts like food didn't matter as doctors learn next to nothing about nutrition in all of their medical training. But there's also good news which is that people all over the planet are reclaiming our lives. We're reclaiming our farms. We're reclaiming our menus. We're taking food back into our hands. We are sick of being sick. We are fed up with toxic food and we're ready for a change. Yes. And That's what the food revolution is all about. It shows up in every domain. We've seen in the last you know, 15 years a fourfold increase in the number of farmers markets and community supported agriculture programs. Yes. People are turning their lawns into gardens. More and more people are planting fruit trees in their backyards. Yay. People are going plant based. Just, just look at this data. You know, whether you're vegan or not, we can all agree that we want to see more plants eaten in this world. And we know that in the last three years, the number of Americans who identify as vegan has increased Six fold, 600% in wow. three years, right? Yeah. In the United Kingdom, the number identifying as vegan in the last decade has increased by 350%. The number of Germans that are eating a low meat diet has gone from 22% to 44%, it's doubled in the last five years. So there's a tsunami of people who are saying, we don't want to eat food that comes from factory farms in particular. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are kind of going all the way with the plant-based direction. Now you don't have to be an animal rights activist or a vegan to be appalled by the way that animals are being treated in factory farms to want a stable climate and to want to eat food that's going to help you fight cancer. And what we're finding is that more and more people are making these changes for ethical reasons, sustainability reasons, and because they want to live and they're getting results. We are seeing more and more folks making changes and even major medical institutions like Kaiser Permanente, the American Institute for Cancer Research, the American Medical Association are beginning to come out recommending a whole foods, predominantly plant-based diet. Wow.
0: That's incredible. I'm loving that we're seeing those changes.
1: Me too. And, you know, I think we're just getting started because what's happening is we're reaching a tipping point where, you know, healthy food isn't just for hippies anymore. (laughs) It's not just for some kind of a little fad on the sidelines. It's starting to go mainstream. Even Walmart is asking its suppliers to offer more plant-based products. McDonald's closed 700 restaurants recently. Wow! The same practices that made the food giants of the 20th century become so enormous is going to make them dinosaurs in this century if they don't change And change fast because consumer is sick of the status quo. And even mainstream companies are starting to go non-GMO. They're offering more organic alternatives and they're simplifying their ingredient lists because they're realizing that consumers are sick of seeing fifty chemicals they don't know how to pronounce on an ingredients list. And they lose trust in the company when they see that. So I think this is all really good news because As bad as things have gotten, as sick as we've gotten, two-thirds of our population is overweight or obese. You know, 14 million people died of heart disease last year. That's how much better things can be with a change. Yeah. We're making a change, I tell you. There's no stopping it now.
0: It's coming on like a tidal wave. A mere 10 years ago, they put me on the front cover of a magazine here in Phoenix, and they were kind of poking fun at me, this guy growing food in his front yard. And now, you know, I'm somewhat of a local hero here in Phoenix.
1: Well, and for good reason. (laughs) You know, I think that growing food is one of the most revolutionary acts on the planet because we're actually aiming our food sovereignty. We're saying, hey, I don't want to be dependent on greedy corporations or agrochemical companies or Monsanto to feed my family. I don't even want to be dependent on a supply chain that requires trucks and ships and People taking food thousands of miles. I don't want to eat food that might have been contaminated with poisons that are neurotoxins, that are endocrine disruptors, that are proven to cause cancer in farm workers or in me. I don't want to eat food that comes from a toxic system. I want to reclaim my food and my health and my life. And more and more people are taking that stand and they're growing food and they're also eating food from growing by people, not by big corporations, but actually growing by people, which I think is where CSA programs are also powerful because you actually get to know your farmer and you build a real relationship with them. You know, that's how food used to be, right? Everyone knew who grew their food if they didn't grow it themselves. And a heck of a lot of people used to grow their own gardens. You know, we've outsourced food more and more into the hands of mega corporate industries that are interested in making a buck regardless of the quality of what they're delivering to us. But thankfully, we're changing that and the tide is turning. And there's actually a more farms in America than there were a couple years ago. That's because we've finally reversed this trend. People actually are realizing small can be beautiful.
0: Well, I'm seeing an age range of all the way from teenagers to retired people that are jumping in and growing their own food and they're interested for, you know, more than just health reasons. What are you seeing?
1: Oh, it's true. It's so true. You know, I think that the motivations for uh, food revolution are different at different stages of life, typically. You know, older folks for understand reasons are more interested in health because yes. the older you get, the more you're aware of your mortality and the more adding some extra years of vitality, to your life, is really appealing. Mm-hmm. Younger folks are not as motivated by that because you know most young people think they're gonna live forever. They don't literally think that, but they act like it. Yeah. And then at some point along the way, each of us has a brush with our mortality and we realize, holy crap, if I don't make some changes or live in the right way, it could all be over in the blink of an eye. And then we start to make some shifts. And I think a, a lot of people say there's kind of two phases to your life. The point at which you think it'll go on forever and the point at which you realize it absolutely won't. Yeah. So that's one big factor for a lot of folks. And then the other one is ethics, is concerned about the world we live in. And younger people tend to be a lot more concerned about animals being tortured in factory farms. You know, the state of our climate questions like, are we going to have water or topsoil to grow food 50 years from now? You know, young people, that's like their lifetime we're talking about here. Right. Oh, yeah. We talk about climate change. They're thinking, oh, my God, I know a lot of young people don't even know if they want to have kids because they're scared about the world that their kids are going to grow into. Oh, Yeah. Whereas older folks, you know, not saying older folks don't care, but it's a different motivating set of factors. And the beauty of the food revolution is that it doesn't actually matter that much what your motivator is. You know, cancer doesn't care whether you stop eating processed meat or sugar because you're concerned about ethics or you're concerned about health, Mm -hmm. but it does care what you eat. And similarly, climate change doesn't care a heck of a lot, whether you stop having rainforest cut down to grow soy in order to feed it to livestock in factory farms, because you're concerned about heart disease or because you're concerned about the future of the planet. The same changes get the same results either way. So when we choose to eat lower on the food chain, when we choose to eat more organic and you know more whole real foods, we're taking a stand for healthier farms, healthier communities, a healthier planet, healthier bodies, healthier animals, healthier farm workers, because it's all connected.
0: So can you tell us why that's the case? Why is eating a plant-based diet or eating lower on the food chain healthier?
1: From a health standpoint, we have the benefit of very large numbers of epidemiological studies where we can look at the health outcomes for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. And we can see how did they eat? How did they live? What was their health outcome? And we can learn something from that. So we have the blue zones, which are the regions of the world where people live the longest and healthiest lives consistently. Dan Buechner pioneered that term, working for National Geographic. And he studied five specific communities he identified where people were documented not only to live the longest in the world, but also to live the healthiest. These are communities where people can expect to be vibrant right into their 80s and 90s mm-hmm even into their hundreds, they don't just add years to life, they also add life to years. And in the blue zones, which are very different places from Okinawa, Japan, to Sardinia, you know, in Italy, to Loma Linda, California, you know, they looked at different regions, different economic contexts. And all of these places have four things in common when you get right down to it. The people eat whole foods, predominantly plant-based diet, not necessarily vegan, but predominantly plant-based. They get 10% or less of their calories from animal products. They have lots of exercise. And in all of these communities, it's kind of built into the fabric of their lives. They bike, they run, they move around a bunch, they dance, they do stuff that keeps them active and engaged. Not just because they go to the gym, but because it's kind of woven into their tapestry. Mm -hmm. They have very strong social bonds. They have relationships with people that enrich their hearts and help them to enjoy their lives and they have Some form of contemplation, mindfulness, spiritual practice, religion, prayer, something that gives them a sense of connection to a higher power that in medical terms might be reducing cortisol levels and helping them de-stress. And perhaps in religious terms, they're connected to a higher power or a greater purpose to their lives. You know, everyone has their own perspective on it. What's interesting is that, you know, they don't all have the same religion or anything. Right. But they all have something that gives them a greater sense of meaning or purpose. Uh Uh-huh. And I think when we look at those four factors, the fascinating thing is that they're actually pretty much the same four pillars that Dr. Dean Ornish identified in his work, which was the Ornish program. It's the first lifestyle-based program to be approved by Medicare and the big insurance companies for heart disease reversal. Wow, The only program that's been approved for heart disease reversal, because it has been proven to be more effective than drugs or surgeries, and the Ornish program uses pretty much the same pillars. As Dr. Ornish says, we need to eat better, move more, stress less and love more. Wow! So essentially, it's the same things that Dan Buettner identified as he studied these people living all over the world who are living long, healthy lives. Yeah. So how we can apply all of those principles, and of course, my passion in particular is food. And there we see that in many, many studies, a whole foods predominantly plant-based diet is associated with positive health outcomes. Now, we could argue about whether that's because people are eating less meat or because they're eating more plants and whole foods that replace the meat. Ultimately, you do want to crowd out the bad stuff with the good stuff. But at the end of the day, it's the same net result. Yeah, It's mostly plant foods. Now, does that mean be vegan? For some people, they seem to do really well on a vegan or vegetarian diet. Other people do well with a modest amount of animal products in their diet. I'm not as interested, to be honest with you, in pushing a particular spot on the field that everyone should live in and set up camp. I'm interested in helping us move in a direction and how far we move is up to each of us. Yes. So I'd rather see someone go 50% plant-based or 75% plant-based than try to go 100 and fail and beat themselves up and end up at zero. So it's all a matter of degree and finding what works for us. I'm interested in sustainable habit change that we can apply and stick with for the long haul. But I think that it's really exciting that we have some clarity from so many angles showing us the direction that we need to move in and my passion is helping folks put that into action.
0: Wow. And your passion has showed up in this Food Revolution Summit. This is the 7th annual Food Revolution Summit. You've reached over 800,000 people so far in the past 7. This is your 7th one that you've given. How does that make you feel? <laughs>
1: It makes me feel great, and it makes me feel like we are just getting started. Because you know what? We've reached 800,000 people in these summits. We'll probably have 300,000 people in this one. Wow. But there are a lot of people that are missing out. Yeah. We want to change that. This work is just too important not to share widely. Mm -hmm. So everybody listening right now, like I want to say we need you in this revolution. If you're sick of junk food, if you're sick of toxic food, if you want to see... Doctors learn about nutrition in medical school. If, if you want to see schools teach healthy food to kids, if you want to see schools serve healthy food, if you want to see hospitals serve mm-hmm. healthy food, if you want to see more gardens, more fruit trees, if you want to see urban planning look at how to grow food in cities, if you want to see the poor have access to and the ability to afford healthy food, if you want to see food stamps count double for vegetables, oh, yes stop supporting things like soda and sugary junk. yes you know if you want to see less mcdonalds and more natural options in in low income communities and for everybody then this movement needs you because we want to see it so that you don't have to choose between paying rent and buying healthy food. We want to see an end to those kinds of deadening deals that essentially condemn the poor to nutritional disasters. We want to see healthy food available to all, and that's what the food revolution is all about to me. I want to see an end to factory farms. I want to see, you know, an end to unnecessary environmental pollution. I want us to have abundant topsoil. And I want to see us have abundant water to grow the food we need for us. And all future generations. And we can make this happen personally every time we choose food or mm-hmm. choose what we're going to feed our family. Yep. And every time we lobby and organize, we can be a part of shifting the dollars and the resources to build a, a healthy economy. And that's what lights me up. So join us, join the revolution, <laughs> and join the summit. If I may be so bold as to urge you to st- sign up, please. Go to urbanfarm.org forward slash summit. Again, that's urbanfarm.org slash summit. And you can join, you can participate, and you can help us spread this revolution so that you get informed, so you have the knowledge from some of the top food experts on the planet to guide your path. And also tell your friends, tell everyone you love, because... This is just too important to keep secret.
0: Yeah, it really is. And, you know, recently I've had a couple of my close people pass away from heart related and food related issues. And once it starts hitting home, you're right as you said earlier we start remembering i'm going to say that remembering our own mortality and it's like what can we do about it so this is one step you know join the seventh annual food revolution summit and what else can people do
1: oh my gosh well of course you can apply it in your own life and i want to say that you know everyone listening is in a different spot in the journey oh yeah you know some of us really struggle with the addictive pull of certain foods that we know aren't in our best interests mm-hmm. You know, almost everybody knows we want to eat right, but it can be hard. And I just want to have some compassion for what it's like to live in a toxic food culture where it feels like it takes your whole paycheck to eat whole foods, where, you know, it feels like, heck, like healthy food is for the elite and the privileged. You know, most of us can't afford to hire a personal chef. We are trying just to freaking make it through the day and keep our families fed and keep the, you know, bank account from going under. And In that circumstance, when it feels like there's too little money and too little time, then it's easy to go to the path of least resistance. Right. The tragic thing is that the path of least resistance is a fast track to suffering and disease and even death. So I want to really alert us to the reality that we cannot afford the status quo. As convenient as it may be, something else is possible. And the beauty is, that when you step into the food revolution, you don't just forestall disease. You actually say yes to health and vitality, mental clarity, you have less sick days, you have more wellness, you have more bounce in your step, you have mm-hmm. a clear mind, you don't have a huge lull in the middle of the afternoon because you're well rested, because your body is working the way it was designed to work. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for everyone who's listening. Yeah. So how do you step into that? Well, you can eliminate the worst offenders in your kitchen Find the stuff that you're eating that you know you shouldn't be and stop buying it. You can change where you shop. Yeah. Shop more from farmers markets, CSA programs, natural food stores, and less from, you know, big junk supermarket kinds of places and certainly convenience stores. If you don't have access to anything local, try shopping online. You can go to Thrive Market and buy stuff online from them, and they have over 5,000 discounted natural foods available. Wow that you can buy anywhere in the United States and you'll find it lower prices than you can get in any store. You know, that's a great resource. And then just Google Thrive Market and you'll find it. So changing where you shop is really helpful, changing what you buy, using a shopping list, but how our purchases typically are impulse purchases and those tend to be the least healthy things. Yes. When you menu plan, cook a big quantity of something on the weekends or when you got a little free time and then freeze some. So you got ready to go meals, pay it forward and then you'll have food when you need it, when you're tired, when you're stressed out, pack lunch the night before you go off to work or school so you've got what you need during the day when you need it and you're not dependent on restaurants or grounding or going hungry you know plan ahead when you're going on a trip so you pack some food have some rations yes nuts and seeds some trail mix yep you know whatever it is some kale chips whatever it is that you like you know packed up with you ready to go at any time so that when hunger strikes or you're out of everything you've got something to turn to yeah it's a little bit like if you're you know planning a trip out into outer space you don't go without your space suit you know
0: <laughs> oh right of course
1: and to be honest with you sometimes it's a little bit like you gotta kind of plan ahead and you know you can't just expect to get your needs met at any convenience store so take care of yourself and build healthy food into your life and know this if you find yourself attracted to french fries or twinkies or you know things you know aren't so good for you whatever it may be Know that your taste buds can actually change when you cultivate a love of foods that love you back. Over time, you start going steady with them. You build real relationships with them. That's nice. And you stop wanting to date jerks. Yeah. That's been the experience I've had, and a lot of people have had. Is that sometimes you know the hardest time to make a real change is when you're first starting out, when you're carving a new path. But think of it like water. You know, water carves rivers. Over time, it can carve the Grand Canyon if you give it enough time, but it all starts with a trickle. And When it first starts raining, the water doesn't know where to go and it just goes downhill and it creates a little gully. And if you've ever gardened, you probably have experienced that you can control where water goes by giving it little ditches and you know pathways so that when you get a big storm you don't have your whole garden flooded and my experience is that food is similar to that that cultivating healthy habits is similar to that when you create a clear defined pathway then it gets easier and easier to stick with it yes and most of us have grown up with habits that quite frankly suck compared to what we want for our lives right but creating healthy habits is one of the most powerful things we can do you do not want to depend on willpower to see you through tough times. You want to depend on habits to see you through tough times. And the right use of willpower is forging those habits. It's digging the gully that the water's going to go down. You actually do it on a dry day when it's not pouring rain. Mm -hmm. You decide where you want the water to go. And then when it rains, you just watch it go where it's supposed to. And the more it rains, the more it goes down that pathway because that's what you set up. Yeah.
0: As you were speaking, there were multiple things that you shared that correlated that they sing to me. One of the things is a few years ago, I was on a trip to San Diego from Phoenix in my car and I failed to plan some food and I stopped at a Burger King and, and literally I walked in the door and it's like, there's nothing I can eat here. And that, that, that was a pivotal moment for me. It's like, all right, next time I travel, I got to make sure that I take my gorp. I got to make sure that I take my goodies and make sure I plan ahead. So that's key
1: yes absolutely we do you plan ahead and you build the systems yeah you know the old saying if you fail to plan you plan to fail yep and there's no place that's more true than food yeah
0: well and the other thing is heidi and i when we make dinner we usually make dinner together we always plan for two nights so we'll make enough food for tonight and tomorrow night which it's really simple planning that way
1: absolutely and it sure saves some time you know it doesn't take nearly twice as much time to make twice as much food
0: Exactly. So seven years with this event, and what kind of changes and results are you seeing out there out of the work that you've been doing with the summit?
1: Our work is very broad. We don't have a clear way to track every result Mm -hmm. that happens. We just figure we're planting a lot of seeds, and some of them are sprouting, and that's wonderful. But we get a lot of letters. Call them anecdotal if you wish, but I guess the plural of anecdotal is data. Oh, yes. We're kind of getting there. We've heard from a lot of people who have changed their diets and changed their lives and gotten results. I don't take credit for all that. I think we're part of a movement. Yes. the course of history. And, you know, one of the people who inspires me in this movement is Craig Watts. He was a chicken farmer, factory farmer in North Carolina. Uh And he inherited land his family had owned for 200 years. And he put in, you know, a bunch of chicken barns and had hundreds of thousands of birds. He signed up with Purdue. And Purdue gave him baby chicks and the feed And all the sort of strategy, Uh they would monitor him every week to make sure he was doing what he was supposed to do. And then they'd buy the chicken at the end, and they paid him about five cents a pound for the finished chicken. Wow. You know, he was told to give his birds what amounted to less than a square foot per bird. Now, a chicken wingspan is... 30 plus inches. Uh So this means the birds could never open their wings. He was forbidden. He was in contract from ever giving them any access to fresh air or to light because that would stimulate them to move Mm -hmm. too much. That would reduce the feed conversion ratio. The chickens were bred to have massive breasts so big that they couldn't walk. They were morbidly obese. So they would just fall to the ground and lie in their own manure. The the facilities were cleaned about every three years. So they were many generations of feces under the birds. Oh my gosh. It's lying there and their feathers would rub off and their skin would turn raw red because they were just festering in manure lying there unable to walk, unable to lift their wings. And... This was the standard practice. He hated it, but he was doing it because he had to feed his family and keep the lights turned on. And this was the business he'd signed up for. And then he saw an ad in which Jim Perdue talked about how they raised their chickens so humanely and with so much love. And the chickens were so happy. And he was like, well, not only am I cruel, but if I don't say anything, I'm also a liar. And that's going too far. So he invited an animal rights organization to come in and film what was actually happening at his farm. He said, just take a look. And he was a top producer. Purdue gave him all these awards. He was just doing great as far as they were concerned. Uh He was following all the rules. And he showed what a farmer who follows all the rules is doing. Then this broke to the world and millions of people watched the videos. And Purdue was not happy with him one bit. A short time later, he exited the Purdue system. He now has uh, row crops growing on his farm. He's become a consultant who helps factory farmers transition to more sustainable methods and working for an organization that that's their whole focus. So, you know, Craig Watts to me is like an example of somebody who had some guts Yep. To tell the truth about what's happening, even at enormous risk to his own livelihood, and then to make a change in his own life because he couldn't ethically condone being a part of a system that was torturing animals and creating food that was fueled in such misery. And that's an example of a food revolutionary that might be an unlikely suspect. You know, you wouldn't expect a factory farm operator from North Carolina to be one of the heroes of our movement, yep. but Craig Watts is. And, you know, there are so many others, and I feel like we're just part of a... As you said earlier a tidal wave of people who are participating in creating change and it's spreading far and wide and fast and furious and we're seeing the results you know in los angeles school systems they've implemented encouragement of plant-based diets, meat-free Mondays. They're banning sodas from the schools, and sugary sodas. And they've actually, childhood obesity is going down in Los Angeles. It's going, still going up almost everywhere else, but it's going down in LA. We're seeing that this is possible, that we really can stem the tide. And I think that's pretty exciting.
0: Absolutely. As you were sharing about him and these other stories, it's like I was getting chills. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing for the past 40 years. And I know that's what motivates you.
1: Absolutely. Again, I just want to say, If you're listening and you want to join us, participate by going to urbanfarm.org forward slash summit to be a part of this summit. This year, we're interviewing 24 of the top food experts on the planet, some incredible doctors, pioneers, leaders in this world. We're going to also be exposing a lot of the breaking news, you know, things that have changed in the food world recently. For example, Glyphosate isn't just being used on GMO crops anymore. It's actually being used as a desiccant on wheat and, yep. and many other crops that are not organically grown, and so about half of the dietary exposure to glyphosate, which is, has been found to be a known endocrine disruptor, which has been probably determined carcinogenic, mm-hmm. which is patented as an antibiotic by Monsanto, which may disrupt the bacteria in your gut. Wow. Glyphosate is, about half of our exposure is now coming from non-organic crops that are not genetically engineered. Plus, we've got a whole new wave of GMO crops coming down the pipeline, we could see Instead of just, you know, corn, soy, cotton, sugar, and canola, which are the big five right now, we could see 10, 20 crops being GMO mm-hmm. that are in widespread use within the next few years. So it's really important to be informed about this stuff so we know what's going on and how we can protect our families from toxic food. We're also seeing a lot of continued breakthroughs around the science of food and health, around all the controversial issues like food fat and is fat good or bad? Like carbs, are carbs good or bad? Right. What are the real superfoods? What are the foods you should eat a ton of that have been proven to fight dementia? We're seeing a lot of breakthroughs on dementia, by the way, and Alzheimer's. We used to think it was a one-way street that once someone was diagnosed, there was only one way they could go, which was towards death. But we have actually seen in some cases now reversal, documented reversal of Alzheimer's symptoms wow. from applying diet and lifestyle choices. Yep. The same choices that also could Prevent 90% of cases of dementia from happening in the first place. You know, it's exciting times, I think, in medical research. And when we can apply that, a learning from the, some of the top experts, you know, we get the benefit of their learnings so that we can apply it in our lives. And yeah. I think that's pretty awesome, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. So how does the summit work? It's a free summit,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah absolutely
0: so how does it work
1: well you sign up you join in for free every day for a week we're going to broadcast three more interviews with some of the top food experts on the planet you know from dr dale bredesen and joel Furman and daniel amon neil barnard dean ornish to aspiring leaders like Vani Hari and chris carr and susan pierce thompson Vandana Shiva, joel khan wow great amazing team of folks so got them all together you can listen in for free at the time of broadcast and then and every interview is up for 21 hours of replay afterwards until the next day starts. And we kind of take people on a journey. Mm-hmm. You know, every day has a theme and we're taking them through brain health, food and cancer, food and cardiovascular health, uh, safe food. And what's going on hit some of the hidden toxins in our food supply and how we can protect ourselves and our family. Sustainable habit change. How you can apply what we're learning in your life in a way that really sticks. You know, we're gonna look at all these things and you know, how you can be a food revolutionary and what the science says about some of the areas of controversy and, and what leading edge doctors agree on that we all know is right. So we'll look at all that stuff and, and then we'll help you take it home and apply it in your life. Every day you also have, we have a recipe of the day in the summit, so you get a fun recipe. You as a whole community of you know, hundreds of thousands of cohorts, so we're in the journey together. So you get to feel like you're really part of a movement and right. engage and share and dive Dialogue with peers and talk about what you're learning and share successes and struggles. And, you know, it's just an amazing event and, and a fun one. So, yeah, go ahead and sign up again at urbanfarm.org slash summit and join in the revolution.
0: Perfect. So if you were to just throw out a piece of advice for our listeners, what might it be?
1: Well, I would say get informed. You cannot count on doctors or the food industry to take care of your health. Mm hmm. So you've got to get informed because your survival depends on it. We actually have to eat like our lives depend on it because they do.
0: Because it does. Exactly.
1: So, you know, the Food Revolution Summit is our effort to give the best, latest breaking insights and resources to the world for free. There are others. There are great books. There are, you know, TED Talks. The bottom line is you cannot just go with the status quo. Mm -hmm. And even if you're a relatively healthy eater, Who's doing better than most, you know, don't settle for what's easiest because we've got to keep moving. The key is to build momentum and then keep growing and developing. You know, I grew up eating pretty healthy. But when I look at my diet when I was a kid, now with what I know now, Oh, I know. You know, I was vegetarian, but mm-hmm. you know, I didn't eat nearly as many vegetables, nearly as much mushrooms as I do now. I eat a heck of a lot of pasta and you know, a lot of oils and things that I now know are not optimal. We're constantly learning more about how we can apply healthy eating principles that really stick. Yeah. About what are the foods you got to avoid if you want to really, you know, fight cancer and heart disease and dementia. It's a constant learning journey, so let's keep the learning going and keep applying what we learn so that our health can um, be something we safeguard and cherish beautiful.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your passion with us today, Ocean.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me and thanks for fighting the good fight and living the good life and inspiring so many people, Greg.
0: Absolutely. So for more information on the 2018 Food Revolution Summit and to register, visit urbanfarm.org forward slash summit. You can also find all of Ocean's interviews and a link to the upcoming Food Summit along with show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash summit. We are your urban Urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know. You're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. My intent with the Urban Farm Podcast is to educate and inform. So when I find a particularly good opportunity, I want to share it with everyone. The 2018 Food Revolution Summit is one of them. As you listen, you will be informed, inspired, and motivated to improve your health you'll get cutting-edge insights and information from 24 of the top food and health experts in the world. Hosted by my friend Ocean Robbins with interviews conducted by best-selling author John Robbins. This annual week-long online event is free to attend. You will learn from experts you can trust about how to improve your health and reduce your risk of chronic disease. Sign up at urbanfarm.org forward slash summit to join the revolution.